The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish, and today I have a very special guest, NJ Gallegos. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, so thanks for having me, Nathaniel. You did a fantastic job pronouncing my name, too, with the uh, double Spanish L's. I'm very proud of you. Yes, um, yeah, got, got yeah. to nail the a Yeah, <laughs> the Yama. You did great. It was fantastic. Oh. Wonderful. And and I definitely got it right the very first time, even before we started recording. No mistakes ever. Mm-mm, he needed Wink. zero coaching. Yes. Um, well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Gallegos. Oh. Dr. G. Yeah, Dr. G, as I always tell everybody, right? Because it's, it's, it's rather hard to pronounce my name on occasion, but I am an ER doctor by day or night shift, depending on what shift I'm working, but also a horror author. I um, have my debut horror novel, The Broken Heart, coming out September 19th. I am from Colorado originally, but currently live out in the Midwest in Illinois. So like any good, I guess I'm an acquired Midwesterner. Um, I am now fear tornadoes instead of like forest fires. There's that. Um, I live with my wife and two cats, and I have way too many Star Wars Legos. Well, instantly, like, all of those things are just like, well, now we're going to be best friends. It's great. Like on Step Brothers. Yes, exactly. Did we just become best friends? Um, yep. Uh, I'm going to just run you through the gauntlet of usual questions that we have for our guests, and then, you know, we can devolve from there. Uh, and then start also talking about a film that we both watched and uh, have some thoughts about, which is going to be We Need to Talk About Kevin. So we need to talk about We Need to Talk About Kevin, but first, we need to talk about you. So first things first, I just want to hear about you as a horror fan. How did you get into horror? How did you get into horror writing? Like, take us through the journey. One dark, stormy night I was born, except I was born at 1 p.m., so that's when it started. Um... But no, I was very into horror very early. My mom is a massive horror fiend, and she didn't really censor anything around me from a very early age, although she would explain things to me as much as you can explain poltergeist to a five-year-old. But I watched a lot of horror growing up. Um, And then, I think it was probably around like middle school age, I was reading through, like, you know, like the 150-page books that you'd get, like, Goosebumps or Animorphs or whatever, right? Or Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark or... Yeah, Fear Street, um, that kind of stuff. Yes, excellent. She was sick, essentially, of buying me books or, like, you know, me pretending to do chores so I could earn money to buy more books, so she tossed Stephen King's The Stand at me, and she was like, read this in an hour, you little shit. Huh. It took me a bit longer than that, but I immediately, like, fell in love, and she had a bunch of um, his old paperbacks on the shelf, so I just mowed through them. And, Dang. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she, she threw you right in the deep end, so... Oh, yeah. Like, The Stand. You know, like, she was not fucking around. That woman was not. I mean, that thing is definitely a cat killer. Yeah. But I do remember, I think after that I read Carrie, and I I went through a lot of his, like, older stuff, obviously, because that's what was out. Like, Carrie, Misery, Pet Cemetery. I absolutely loved. I mean, I've almost read most of his stuff like a big nerd. And as far as the writing goes, I... I always harbored a, like, desire to write a book, but more as, like, kind of like a bucket list thing. Like, one day I'll write a book. 
but um, like during COVID and everything with work, um, I decided to get serious about it and pursue it more, what's the word for it? Not professionally, but like just see if I could get published, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I did and built up my confidence and networking and here I am talking to you, Nathaniel. Hell yes. <laughs> well, I, and, and you chose just such a, a non-stressful time for the medical community to, to get into this other second career. And just, right. well, congratulations on making it way faster than me, who that's been my singular life goal since I was like five. So, um, but that's fine because it's a kick awesome book, but we'll get into that in a minute too. More horror fan questions first. So what are your like favorite pieces of horror media? Obviously, you know, we can talk books, movies, TV shows, video games, whatever. Favorite. So... I definitely love stuff that's a bit gorier. Um, I don't know if it's the, like, scientific, like, doctor part of me that likes the blood and the guts or, or what, but I've lately gotten into splatterpunk kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I'd never really read anything like that for the last, you know, 30-some years of my life. And now having jumped into it when it's done really well... It's phenomenal. So, uh, you went to StokerCon, right? We just didn't meet there? Yes. Yeah, I, I've been to the last two. Are you going this year? Oh, hell yeah. Got your tickets? Yes. Sainties. We'll, um... Don't you think we'll get, like, um... Like, rings or something? Like, like friendship bracelets? Uh, it'll be friendship, friendship mood rings, but they will be carved with the sigil of... Mm, Baphomet. That sounds badass. Perfect. Um, what was what was I answering? What was my question? Now I got oh, distracted. Oh yeah. Um, so favorite pieces of horror media. Uh, you, you talked about some some splatterpunk stuff. Yeah. Yeah. StokerCon. All right. Yeah. My my point with the StokerCon. Um, so I got to actually be on a panel with Bridget Nelson, Ooh. and yeah, she I love her. She's awesome. And yeah, she's I. Yeah, she, oh, I would have loved to work with her, although I think I'm kind of afraid of OR nurses at baseline because as a med student, they're always staring at you and, and trying to get you, like, just catch you breaking, like, sterile field. It's like their joy in life. So she frightens me a little, but, like, in a good way. And I've read Bouquet of Viscera, and then what was it, Sweet, Sour, Spicy, and mm-hmm. she perfectly does splatterpunk by you know kind of melding her medical mind with her you know messed up twisted mind in the best way possible yeah see i've just met her around i haven't actually read her stuff so that is going to the top of the to read list oh it's good do do bouquet of viscera first just because she has some pretty messed up stories in there and i think you'll enjoy that excellent (laughs) i see i hear the typing i like it um Okay, it's all good. And then as far as, like, the films and stuff, uh, I mean, I, I have to say the Alien series is probably my favorite. And as it should be, because Alien is the single greatest horror movie ever made. Thank you. And then, obviously, the second single greatest horror movie ever made is Aliens. I mean, it, it certainly gives the first one a run for its money. It does, doesn't it? <sighs> so good. So it is good. really good. And then... Hellraiser, I love Hellraiser. I love a Cenobite. I mean, yeah, the, just all all bangers, all, all across the board. Okay, not all the Hellraiser movies are, but what you I have mean, listed so far. Yeah, yeah. But they're, they're good in their own horrible, campy way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, the first two genuinely great movies. After that, it's kind of like, hey, this is definitely an entertaining movie. Did you see the... Um, reboot with Jamie Clayton. I have not yet. So, I actually really enjoyed it. Like, I, it kind of reminded me of the first and second one as far as, like, the vibes. So, Mm. she she does good. Well, I need to remedy my lack of seeing it. I'm 
uh, it's it's hard because I have small children in my house, and so whenever I want to watch horror movies, I have to wait until you know they're not around uh, or sure. unconscious, and uh, because yeah, I. I, I value uh, my life and how my wife would definitely murder me if, if any of those were on around our children. Yeah, yeah. You know, you could give them some melatonin. Totally natural. Put them right to sleep. Oh, oh, tr- trust me. That's very much in the toolbox. <laughs> okay, so those are your favorites. Now let's let's move on to what pieces of horror media have scared you the most? I always find this really interesting, especially from horror creators. Mm. The the one that comes to mind the most, the movie I've only ever seen once, and I don't think I'll ever be able to bring myself to watch it again, was The Strangers. Fair. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Liv uh, Tyler like acted the shit out of that, but it's just so filled with dread, and it's everybody's worst nightmare. So definitely that would be number one. The Hills Have Eyes I have a hard time with as well. It's a bit too much for me some, at some points. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's a bit much for me as well. I, I, I agree with you on both of those counts. Okay, so now I want to hear about the interesting uh, cro- uh, yeah, cross-section between, you know, your uh, professions. So as a doctor, so like what... what what attracts you in horror? What do you see in horror movies all the time that just like makes you want to uh, just throw the controller through the TV? Like what? What is like interesting in the horror world as a doctor that maybe isn't true for other horror fans? That's a good one. I I guess I do sometimes gravitate towards um, more medical geared stuff at baseline. Meaning, like, like the Lazarus effect, or, like, American Mary, recently, like, fresh. And I, I guess a lot of what will attract me is some of the gore does, I will admit that. But um, I also enjoy whenever there's, like, a very good intersection between, like, humor and some medical horror. And I, so one of my friends and I, we watch a lot of just really weird stuff like he's really into like b movies and he's probably a bigger, bigger horror freak than i am but um whenever i was in residency we watched all of the human centipede <laughs> movies which hmm. i mean they're <laughs> they're also a bit much but i also enjoy how they are so over the top like i i don't necessarily even care if stuff's like scientifically accurate if it's entertaining at, at points hmm. so i do enjoy that and then one genre, I guess, or section of horror I always find myself gravitating towards, and I do think it is a bit of the doctor in me, is, like, plague stuff or that will devolve into, like, zombie stuff. You know, that mm-hmm. intersection's perfect. I think I find the, like, change in people's behavior secondary to, like, yeah, a virus, a pathogen, zombie bite. That, that really gets me going. Although I would not want to see it in the hospital. Like, I, I do not want to deal with a zombie attack, and it's one of the things I worry about quite a bit. I mean, fair. No no one wants to, to be in the middle of that. If, if your day just goes full wreck, then, you know, it's all over. And I think about, like, that's where it's going to happen, right? Is the hospital. Oh, yeah. None of that, they're going to catch it and quarantine it in a building after, you know... A couple no. Of hours. No, 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 no. It, it'll it'll already be everywhere. Oh, we'll be so screwed. So we have that to look forward to. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, oh yeah, what drives me crazy is what you asked. More so, just like inaccuracies that I think maybe it's. I'm probably being nitpicky to be honest, because I, sometimes I can just be like, all right, don't worry about it, it's fine. But like in American Mary, have you seen that movie? Yes, I have. So, you're familiar, um, in case the audience doesn't know, it's a medical student who's pretty much strapped for cash, and she gets involved in the underground world of body modification. And, like, so, like, in those surgeries, they're major surgeries where you'd have to normally, like, be intubated and stuff, but they're not. 
it's so just seeing them laying there without anything like you know on their face always drives me nuts but it's like not that big of a deal i guess yeah you're just like it wouldn't be that hard to add one additional prop right yeah um so things like that and then always the nitpicky you know you're not gonna shock a flat one like they always do that that drives me nuts yeah, or like, hey, your intestines aren't in your upper chest cavity, like, I don't know. Yeah, or like, how how come every time, like, everybody, somebody gets stabbed or something, they're coughing up blood? Like, I've never, you, it, you don't see that very much, to be honest, even though it, like, makes it look like that in movies. Oh, yeah, everyone is always coughing up blood. It's It's just what you do when you're... Mildly or majorly injured. <laughs> I do it every time I stub my toe just to really get the point across. As you should. Yeah. If you're not going to be extra, then what the hell are you doing? Fan stuff out of the way. Let's get into the, the real meat. Tell us about the broken heart. Of course. So, as I mentioned, it is my debut horror novel coming out September 19th. Pre-order it on Amazon. But... Essentially, the the broken heart follows Casey Phillips, an abused housewife who receives a heart transplant from a serial killer. And this this occurs after some postpartum issues, and her family is not the greatest. Uh, Her husband's kind of an alcoholic douche. Um, Her kid's Ted Bundy Jr., And really the only light in her life is her newborn daughter, except she gets really bad heart failure and nearly dies. So in receiving the heart transplant, I think that she becomes an anti-hero you can't help but root for, even as the body count is rising. Having read it myself, because thank you for sending that uh, advanced copy to me, um, have to just give it uh, a glowing endorsement because I freaking loved it. Thank you. It's it it's just such a, a a wonderful blend of yeah like the serial killer tropes, bad seed tropes with with the uh, you know Ted Bundy Jr. child as as you referred to him. But then yeah the the fun kind of heart transplant and how that begins to to change things and uh, I mean you you go real dark in this book. Uh, you get real <laughs> violent. Um, but it's just, yeah, like, it's it's gripping all the way through. Uh, I definitely can't wait to see what you write next, because this one uh, was a banger for me. Thank you and so also, much. And also, the cover is so freaking cool. Ugh, I know. Whenever I saw it, I fell in love immediately. They knocked it out of the park with this. Yeah, for for those of you not benefiting from a, a video feed that doesn't exist, it's a uh, so you know obviously author title or author author name book title, but then just against this like white background is a red heart, but then it ha- looks like it's also kind of a fist that's gripping a bloody knife, and it's just such a good visual and. Uh, Instantly, like, as soon as I saw the cover, I was like, uh, that is so badass, and I can't wait to read this. And then, if you, uh, let's just say this is a book that you can judge by the cover, because it's a really badass cover, and it's a great book. I have the biggest grin on my face now, so thank you, this is great. Well, you know, if I'm not just, uh, shamelessly, uh, shilling for your book, then what am I doing? Because, again, I really freaking loved it, and that's what I do. (laughs) You're a hero. Thank you. I mean, I am. <laughs> Just, you know, corrupting the youth of America one one shameless plug at a time. Or at least I that's what it. I do it when I'm at work. Because <laughs> high school teacher. Oh, wow. What do you teach? English and creative writing. Oh, cool. I bet that's actually pretty fun. It is a party. Um, yeah. It's not always a party that you want to be at, but it is a party. It's always good to be invited, right? Yeah, right? Like, sometimes it's, you know, hilarious and, and I mean, as a horror guy, you know, I'm, I'm bringing in all of the weird literature. You know, we start off uh, the, the year with Dante's Inferno and, like, 
one of the first days of class. It's uh, the the room is just decked out in uh, as much hell stuff as I can find, and it's you know I'm playing uh, Squirrel Nut Zippers Hell on the speakers as they come in, and you know it's oh just gosh. Welcome to Hell on the board, and uh, yeah, that's gonna be next week in class. I I can't wait. Oh my god! So can I do like? Like, never been kissed where Drew Barrymore goes back to high school, except, like, we won't have the romantic subplot. It'll just be me at your English class. Uh, yes. Perfect. I'm going to get a feather boa. I think the kids will like that. Yes. N- no one will have any questions or, or concerns. Not not one. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a great time. And I, you know, just enjoy uh, upsetting them just more and more. And, I mean... <laughs> If, if 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 that you know was was a good time, just you should see me teach uh, a modest proposal, which I I did have students throw up two years in a row. So, do you have that like on a CV? Because you should. I I really should. I it's it's honestly like my greatest professional accomplishment as a teacher. So, as it should be. Yes. Well, that uh, went off the rails, but hey. I'm here for it. So yes, everyone should read uh, The Broken Heart, pre-order it, because pre-orders are awesome and help with uh, like all of the initial sales that you know put people on bestsellers list. And this should be on all the bestsellers list because I want uh, you to have every reason to just keep churning out awesome horror. Me too. I would very much like that. So do that, everybody. That This is your call to action right now. Um, and I'll just keep shamelessly talking about how much I love it. But let's briefly shift gears to we need to talk about Kevin. He's just a boy. Just a sweet little boy. Just because you're used to something doesn't mean you like it. You're used to me. Great shot, Kevin. You're a natural. First he cries too much, then he's too quiet. And you see it as some kind of personal vendetta? You think I'm exaggerating? So, I recommended this based on having read your book, uh, just specifically kind of honing in on that sort of bad seed, uh, child sociopath element that is present in The Broken Heart. Um, And yeah, you hadn't seen it before, so what do you think of uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin? So I, yeah, I very much uh, enjoyed it. And the fact that um, Tilda Swinton's in it, I mean, like, you're, you know, it's going to be good. I mean, yeah, she, she doesn't deliver a bad performance at any No, time. no. Coincidentally, too, um, mildly off topic, but I was watching Suspiria, the um, remake, for the first time, kind of around the same time. And I was like, she's in everything. And also... A great movie. So she does not turn in a bad performance, and she does a pretty good um, job in this as well. But it, it it very much reminded me of what would have happened, I think, if Owen maybe uh, matured a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, you know, just not 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 spoiling anything, but yeah, not, just, not, uh, not a thing. Anyway, definitely, you know, just whenever those kinds of scenes came up in your book. I just, yeah, I kept thinking about we need to talk about Kevin because it had such a lasting impact on me and, you know, watching it, you know, especially just, you know, seeing that kind of figure through the eyes of their mother, you know, this dangerous sociopath going down the the road towards psychopathy is really interesting to see through the the eyes of, of someone who, you know, should be the person who loves them and cares about them the most, but is having a hard time doing that since nothing has ever reciprocated or anything. So that's definitely just like a really fascinating, you know, kind of entry point. Let's, yeah, kind of talk a little bit about, you know, things that we liked about the movie. Obviously, we're going to get a little bit into some things that maybe didn't work as well. And for me, I actually read the book first and then watched the film. And the book is good but i can't recommend it on audio because the reader kind of drove me nuts with her <laughs> it, it it was a very good voice for the character because it's it's all written from ava's perspective uh the the main character is yeah the, the mother of this kevin 
oh, just it it was like nails on a chalkboard the whole book, which made it really work. But oh, sure, yeah. So what you're saying is read it, not yeah, yeah. Pick 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 up a, a physical copy of it if you're gonna read it. But it really just got under my skin. And admittedly, I was reading it, like, right after becoming a dad, and so that probably made it worse. Oh, yeah. I made several very bad uh, literary choices, like, within the first year of my son's life. This was one of them. Another one was uh, Victor Laval's The Changeling. Not great books if you have a small child living in your home. So yeah. don't do that. Yeah, you might have been able to do a little bit better. Yeah. But yeah, so outside of Tilda Swinton being the immaculate uh, acting goddess that she always is, what else spoke to you in this movie? So, um, Kevin, like, he, I hate to say a lot nice about the actor because he sucks, but, you know, like, he did a very, very good job of, um, conveying this like very creepy like smug knowing character when it comes to his mother Mm -hmm. but you see him like turn on the charm and the smiles and the you know he's putting on the act with his father who seems i don't know i don't know if he's just like oblivious or if he's not around very much but he doesn't seem to understand what kevin is because yeah. of how well he's playing this role. So I was I was very impressed with that. And he has a very like just creepy expression on his face the whole time that is both like completely dead but like terrifying at the same time. Absolutely. And yeah, so this is uh Ezra Miller is the one who plays Kevin as a teenager. Uh, unfortunately, just, you know, Ezra Miller's an awful human being, and... Yes. <sighs> but I will give him that he kind of knocked this out of the park. He did. But also screw Ezra Miller. Also props to the, the kid who played the younger Kevin, the the actor uh, uh, Jasper Newell, who played, yeah, Kevin from, like, ages, like, six to eight. Oh, yeah. Also, just one of the best performances uh, of a child actor I've seen in a while. Like, probably not at the same level as Ezra Miller, but still, like, pretty pretty freaking upsetting to to watch him be this just calculating, monstrous little kid. And that part where he's sick, and he, like, gives her that little kernel of hope whenever he's, like, being sweet... Mm-hmm. It it makes me wonder, like, if if that was calculated, you know, just to be like hurtful, or if he was truly, I don't know, so feverish that he didn't know what he was doing or what, you know. Oh, I definitely read it as calculated, but I agree. But yeah, but it's it's really fascinating to see those kinds of moments, uh, you know, especially yeah, from from like a, a small child. For me, honestly, like the big thing about this this movie and and the book that that really really worked is just how harrowing the ending is. And of course, uh, as usual, we're we're just diving straight into spoilers. Oh my gosh, the ending is so harrowing. A massacre at the school after killing uh, dad and little sister. You know, Kevin just kills a bunch of his uh, the other teenagers, and then just is you know, as smug as can be about it. And it, it telegraphs it very well, too, but oh, it gives you a gut punch still. Yeah, because, you know, it, like, you totally know that he's going to be, you know, a school shooter type. It ends up being a bow and arrow, which is kind of interesting. But, you know, like, y- you kind of know that pretty early on in, in the story, but that he also killed... um the you know his his father and younger sister that same day and and that's what she finds after you know getting home after learning what he did that is like a real big gut punch Ugh, yeah yeah especially because and and like it, it was kind of present in the movie but it's really present in the book it's all like a series of letters being written to 
the husband, Franklin. And so, yeah, the whole time you're like, oh, like, they're probably, you know, were, uh, you know, got divorced or are at least separated after what happened. Sure. And so, you know, this is kind of her sharing all of this stuff with him and then, nope, nope, that, that that's not it at all. Ooh, yeah, that that's a good way to do it, though. Really yeah. amp that up and just punch you right there. It was a kidney punch if, you know, it, it really, really got me. And, and yeah, like, w- what I like is that it doesn't necessarily show us too much of what he does, but it shows us the fallout of a lot of the things that he does that are messed up. You know, his violence against animals. You know, you, uh, you mentioned in the show notes uh, the guinea pig. Yeah, uh, I... It makes me sad to say, but, like, you know, humans getting murdered on screen's one thing, but whenever it's an animal, I have a very hard time with that, and I have to... Sometimes I'll have to fast-forward or look at that website. Um, does it... Does it, was get... it the, the, yeah. And, or does um, dog live, or does that's it cat live, or whatever. Whatever, yeah. Yeah, I like that. And, and also, sometimes leaving out details like that it makes it worse because you're imagining what it could be. So it's actually just a, it's a creative way to make it whatever you want it to be for the reader. Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, the not showing the monster. I agree. I feel like a lot of the things that we see him do are upsetting, but it's like, oh, hey, yeah, she comes in and like her office is destroyed by Kevin. That's one thing, but it's another thing to be like, you know, not being able to really put into words and not showing us what what happened to a guinea pig. You know, when whenever we have the the bad thing happened off off screen, and then we just have Ava just not being able to handle it and not even being able to like say exactly what happened. That really was much more chilling. Yes. It was. And one thing I also think is, like, very calculating. How You kind of said the bow and arrow thing for the school shooting. Mm-hmm. Like, there's almost something more calculating about that. Because, like, you know, he was practicing with his little bow and arrow since he was little Kevin. So it's like, you almost have to be, like, a... It's, it's more personal, almost, you know? Um, yeah, it's like it's, the it's, Civil it's War, the... right? Whenever they like wouldn't bayonet people because it's like up close and personal. Like it's it seems worse in a way. Yeah, yeah. It also reminds me just a little bit of like the Scream films. Uh, you know, talking about how often you know they're using knives because it's more personal. Exactly. Yeah, like it's so much more harrowing when it does have the the gym scene when he is finally putting his plan into action and killing his peers when, you know, just watching him, you know, just slowly knocking another arrow, taking aim, shooting. Like, that is so much worse than just bang, 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 bang. And so, yeah, like, that choice was a really interesting one, but I think it was definitely one that made the impact that much more intense. Yes. Well, also, I think being smart, considering how often school shootings are happening this kind of makes it like oh this is different enough that it doesn't necessarily feel like any one particular uh, instance yeah which along those lines like i i really wonder how hard it was to to sell this to executives right like a lot of times things get shelved or you know delayed for a long time because it has too many similarities to something that happens in real life and, I mean, unfortunately, the school shootings are happening all the time, and so, like, it feels like this is always too close to one of those. So I, I think both the book and the movie were really ballsy to come out at any point, but I, I think, you know, it, it's both an interesting thing that I'm kind of glad is out there because it is such a, a effective gut-punch ending and all of that, but... I, I can see why maybe this this is definitely a movie uh, or book that is not for everyone at all. No. Have you um, ever read Stephen King's Rage? I have. So, I mean, this kind of reminds me of that, but obviously that's, like, from the perspective of the shooter. And, and like you were saying, you know, I think that it's a fantastic story, but it's very... Uh, 
it doesn't glorify anything necessarily, but it's it's pretty rough story, and I can understand why Stephen King, you know, retrospectively looks at that and he's like, you know what, no, like we're pulling this from public consumption. But I'm also happy that I did get a chance to read it. <laughs> I I agree. I I think it's it's definitely one of his best uh, Bachman books. So you know. Yeah. For for those of uh, our listeners who are not as uh, intensive uh, Stephen King nerds as we clearly are, <laughs> basically when he was writing or publishing a number of his early books uh, that he had written, uh, really most of most of which he had written before Carrie came out, he was decided to release them later under the name of Richard Bachman, and one of those is Rage, which is yeah about a, a school shooter. And it's very much like this very charismatic kid who partway through the book is basically getting uh, almost this whole class that he's holding hostage uh, on his side in in a lot of ways, which is really interesting. Yes. And I think it's definitely one of his like most well-written books of the early Bachman books. But yeah, he, he ultimately made the decision to pull it after a number of uh, school shootings, uh, particularly because I, I know that it was in the uh, collections of at least two school shooters uh, in their, like, homes. Oh, jeez. Who, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I am not 100% certain. I okay. would have to, to dig uh, a little deeper. I mean, you know, this was, like, in the 80s when this was still happening, or when this was uh, going down, so, or, like, maybe really early 90s, so I'm not exactly Certain, sure. Yeah. Yeah, but my my knowledge of school shooting stuff is mostly starting around Columbine. So, yeah. so yeah, pre Columbine, um, and neither of them like pointed to it as like a, as inspiration or anything like that. But he just apparently, you know, that was brought to his knowledge, and he's just like, oh, I don't feel great about that. I'm just gonna pull the book. You know, I I I'm glad I've read it. Um, I I own a copy uh, of it. But it's definitely, yeah, one where it's it's interesting to see that he, he chose to pull it. And it's interesting to see that, you know, books like We Need to Talk About Kevin then came out after we've had a, a whole slew of things. You know, Columbine. You know, this this is definitely a, a post-Columbine book. Oh, yeah. You know, along those lines, yeah, this book is using that real-life horror to very great effect. And, and I something I really like is that... A lot of the story is set after the the um the massacre, right? Like you know that that we get to see her visiting Kevin in prison, you know, basically kind of like leading up to him being transferred from a juvenile facility to an adult prison, and you know, seeing some of her like everyday life now and how like she still lives in this area where you know there are people who are family members of the people that, that her son killed that sometimes interact with her. And so those moments of the story, I think, are really interesting because that's not something that we almost ever talk about when we talk about school shootings, right? You know, right. Like what it was like to be the family members of the school shooters. Yeah, the only thing that I can think of that, that also kind of spends time on that is the book Columbine. It's Dave Cullen. And he does a really good job of, you know, kind of picking apart how they started planning, like their their whole process, what happened with their plan. Uh, but then it also, yeah, talks about like their their families and how, you know, uh, like one of the parent or uh, like one set of parents of one of the boys has spent, you know, years since then, like actively talking and trying to encourage people to like you know not be violent or you know like like you know kind of speaking out against the violence uh of of children and stuff like that. and like they were you know for all intents and purposes sound like great parents and so it's really interesting to to see that and kind of dig into that kind of from a, a real life example perspective but but yeah i, I felt like a lot of the t- things that really just kind of grabbed my interest the most in we need to talk about kevin is that real life Every day, what would it be like to see the person 
you know, like the mother of the person who murdered your child in, you know, Walmart. Yeah. Ugh. It would be awful. And the stuff that people are doing to her, too, you know, like the throwing the paint, and it, it was a gut punch for those, for sure. And you just see, like, her despair, too. She's living in this tiny little house alone. Um, you know, there's the pill bottles that are on the coffee table. She's drinking. It's just a complete, you know, 180 from the beginning, you know, when her and John C. Riley were happy before, you know, she made a decision. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just so interesting to, to see. And, and again, yeah, Tilda Swinton just crushes every part of the performance with you know just the the nuance just you know like she's just sitting there like with despair in her eyes and you're like oh my gosh give this woman all of the awards yeah you feel it you're you're there with her another thing that that uh i saw that you put down was just how strong the tension building is in in the film so i I like stuff that sometimes you know it's giving you clues and so it almost makes you feel like Ooh, I'm I'm like Sherlock Holmes. I picked up on that, and then it happened. I think that it does that very well. You know, when it he's little tiny Kevin, he gets that toy bow and arrow set for Christmas, and you just see how thrilled he is to be shooting it, and you're like, oh, this is not going to end well. Mm-hmm. And then when that payoff comes, it's just like a, a release of that tension that's just been building because you it's just like a dread. Absolutely. And, and I love that it builds and then it continues to pay off all of that tension even more than you originally expect. Exactly. Which is just so, so powerful. Also, yeah, one thing that I really like about this is that this is definitely one of the strongest examples of, of the bad seed trope, you know evil children uh you know the the monster children thing you know that i mean it's it's been around in horror for a long time you know starting with notably bad seed but then also you know we have the village of the damned and we have all of these uh you know kind of weird evil kid things you know we have the omen we have tons and tons of examples of this but what i think this one does really well and also incidentally the broken heart does really well is that it, it feels so grounded, right? Like, this is how some children, and thankfully, you know, it's only a tiny, tiny, you know, percentage of, of, of the population where this is true, but, you know, they just don't understand emotions and, and look at everything like a, you know, like like it's a, a, a bug that doesn't matter. And it's just, you know, inter- you know interesting for them to, to, to poke something and see what happens. Or, you know use drain cleaner and see what happens yeah but yeah so like i i really like seeing that portrayed so realistically because that is i think a hundred times scarier than you know a a village full of weird blonde children who are (laughs) you know just gonna walk around pointing at the interlopers like that's 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 fun and i i I enjoy seeing that in in action sometimes but 99 times out of 100 i'm going to be much more drawn towards this kind of approach i agree i do so the the original bad seed was um a little girl correct yes i feel like i watched that in school for whatever reason good for whatever teacher let me do that um and then the other bad seeds the macaulay culkin one or good son Good son. Oh yeah, good son. Which which is a bad scene. Right. Yeah. I I I also really enjoy that one. I think that Macaulay Culkin and Elijah would do really well at that. But I think that we need to talk about Kevin better. Just so much more chilling in how prescient it feels. Any other stuff that you want to talk about as far as what you really liked? Him? That we've covered most of it. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, well, then let's move on to what we didn't like. One thing that kind of bothers me um, a little bit is just the time jumps are a little bit difficult to follow. Like, it's not too bad when we're just looking at basically, you know, post-massacre, you know, Kevin is in prison scenes, and then, like, when... Like, like those are usually kind of easy to figure out what's going on with, but 
just some of the back and forth gets a little confusing because you know we see you know basically his entire life represented in the film and and a lot of it it's just like hey we have like a lot of the same hairstyles the whole time you know Tilda Swinton's got this like really really short pixie cut for most of the movie so like it, it can be difficult sometimes to just like know what's going on until we see you know Oh, there's little Kevin. That's that's the scene that we're in, as opposed to I don't know. I I just felt like there was a few scenes that just I was so I didn't have the context for until halfway through the scene that and that ended up being kind of a problem for me. Yeah, it was it was a bit distracting. Like you were saying, if it's um, just Tilda Swinton and John C. Riley, it was a bit confusing to know what time period you were in for sure. Yeah, it it wouldn't have hurt to have maybe just a couple more hairstyles or whatever just to kind of give us a few more points of reference to for the the jumping around in time maybe a nice uh, mohawk somebody should have had a mohawk tilda swindon's definitely got the cheekbones for it. yeah that's how we could have fixed it that's the only only notes <laughs> yeah other than that perfect movie and except for maybe let's just you know get ezra miller out of there and get some other you know child actor who hasn't turned into a monster as an adult exactly um, oh, and maybe make it so that every scene is a little less washed out with the weird gray filter on everything. Yeah, I did notice that, but I couldn't really quantify it, so thank you. It just seems like, I don't know, it just seemed like the, the camera lens was kind of just a little dirty. Yeah, like the smudged home. or something. Like, just a little bit, though. Yeah, I don't know, it just... When movies do that for the whole thing, it just kind of makes me think, did Zack Snyder have something to do with this? <laughs> One thing that I think is a problem, and, and I, I definitely felt like this was a, a big problem when I was reading the book, is just that, like, our characters are not likable, right? Like, Ava doesn't do very much to make us go, man, what a cool person she is. Right. She's just kind of, like, uh, always in super pissed off or super broken mode and we don't really get to see any other sides of her character and so it's hard to feel for her as strongly as I think that we are supposed to because we don't get to just like see her like being a super cool person because like it keeps saying or like making reference to her being like this like super erudite interesting traveled person that like everyone likes but then Whenever we see her, it's always just in the context of her usually reacting to Kevin being a monster. It didn't show a lot of emotional range from her where it, like, makes her more of a person. More, like, identifiable. Because I think the only part of the movie where she is maybe happy is, like, 30 seconds when they're, like, hugging on the street. I think that's it. Yeah, and and that definitely made me disconnect the character... And so, yeah, so she felt kind of unpleasant. Um, you're just, you know, spend the whole time mad at Franklin, John C. Riley's character, you know, because he's just too oblivious sometimes. Kevin is just a monster. Like, the, I guess the, the little sister is fine. Um, Most likable one. I mean, she really liked her guinea pig. <laughs> and, and she's pretty sweet even after she gets her eye burned out, I guess, with drain cleaner? Yeah, Let's talk about what, the drain cleaner incident. That's what I would like to know more about. The I guess it's the medical part of me, but because I would assume, you know, I, I guess I've never seen anybody that's gotten drain cleaner in their eye. So, but I would assume that that would probably burn it fairly well, but it, so I don't know if it would cause like really bad like corneal abrasion and like ulcers, but I don't know why they would take the whole eye necessarily unless it got maybe infected. I'd have to ask like a friend that's an ophthalmologist to explain this to me. And then they're going to be like, why are you asking me what would happen if I put drain cleaner in my eye? And then they're going to think I'm weird again, but I'm, I'm okay with it. You just go, uh, I'm a writer. Calm down. You know, actually people aren't very surprised at the weird stuff. I ask them some, you know, um, like recently I texted one of our general surgeons and asked what it would, what uh, instrument would they hold 
a gallbladder with so a tapeworm could like crawl out of the gallbladder and, and they just like answered and then like five minutes later I get another text why huh. <laughs> I was like don't worry about it it's fine yeah follow-up question of uh, what the hell yeah I, but I like how it took five minutes yeah I, I'm guessing they spent those five minutes really bothered by that yeah well that's just the perks of being a friend with a horror writer that's what I'm saying yeah it makes your life way more interesting. And you end up on more watch lists. If you're not on at least three or four government watch lists, are you really living? No, you're really not. Any other stuff that maybe didn't work for you in... Uh, you need to talk about Kevin? Other than, yeah, just the big question mark around... How much train cleaner did it take? What? <laughs> how long was it on there? The other thing... And this is just absolutely nitpicky and dumb, but, like, why are Kevin's shirts so short? Did you notice that? Yes. I have an answer for that from the book, actually. Okay, please. He does it purely out of spite. Like, basically, he does it just because he's like, why are you wearing, like, too small of, of shirts? And he just goes to piss you off. Because it, oh. it's a reaction from him. So. Thank you. And I almost respect that more than he just has bad fashion sense. Yeah, no, it's 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 100% just like, hey, it makes her mad, so I decided to commit to that for my whole life. <laughs> I'm almost impressed with the spite level with that, even if he is a psychopath. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I regularly tell my students that I'm powered by spite, so props at least a little bit for that. Oh, yeah. I think the spike got me through, like, 75% of medical school, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Okay, so let's move on to ratings for uh, this, this movie. Um, so we'll start with our screams. How scary, on a scale of 1 to 10, do you think uh, we need to talk about Kevin is? I'm going to give it a 4, because it's very, I think it's a very much, like, a psychological mind fuck of a movie a little bit like it just puts you in that headspace and so that really is terrifying i do i do like that it held back on the gore factors because i think it again it made that more poignant um when you imagine what you think happened i give it a four because um it does not show what happened with the dream cleaner eye incident show us a, just one gaping corneal hole yeah, is that's all? Is that too much for us? Like, just, just please. It's what the people want. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a five for the really the, a lot of the same reasons. Probably slightly higher because again, I work in uh, high school, so uh, this is a more present threat to me at all times. I guess. Fair. Thanks, America. Ugh. But yeah, that's really yeah. I, I it, it's it's a gut punch. It it makes you upset more than scared but then you think about how often this actually really happens and then the scared kind of comes back in crowns wise um i can go first on this one uh i'm just gonna give it a seven uh, i feel like it's a good movie i think it's again yeah well acted um it just never like it's not one i'm gonna revisit very many times though it's one i think about from time to time but eh, i don't know like there's things that it could have done better I would agree with you. I think that seven is pretty solid. And really for the reasons you mentioned, like if somebody hasn't seen it, I'd be like, oh, you should watch that. But I would, I wouldn't be like, yeah, you need to rewatch it like eight times. Yeah. Yeah. This is not going to be the, the kind of movie that, you know, is going to be proudly on display in my, in my home collection. <laughs> You're not going to put it on the mantle. No, not next to my alien copies. No. That was the perfect answer. I, I know. And that's why we're best friends. Yes. And, and I mean, it also helps that I am also an NJ. Because, uh, yeah, Nathaniel J. Darkin. Oh. So there we go. We'll Sounds like I just skip. need to be like a guest host or something now. Jesus. I mean, whenever you want to come back. Seriously. You like that? Just yes. invite myself back to your podcast. Seriously, do it whenever you want. It's a It's a... It's already been a freaking delight, so. I like that. All right, I'll keep you in mind for sure. Good, good. Our, our best friendship shall continue across uh, many episodes. Other than me making you watch this movie, uh, 
How are you staying spooky lately? So at any given point in time, I have several books open on my Kindle. And that's what I'll typically read whenever I come home from a night shift. Because I don't want to like read an actual book and wake my wife up. So I've been reading a lot of anthologies lately. Just because it's kind of nice to be able to read like a short story. You finish it, you know what happened, you get to go to bed. So I think I've been reading, what is it? It's like Madame Grey's House of Horror or something. It's with Hellbound Books, um, who I, I very much have been digging lately. And then I have recently read Tender is the Flesh by Augustina Bastarica. Have oh you read that gosh. one? Yeah. Um, so I had a, a student who had bought it and was like, here, uh, you should read this and tell me how it is. And then, uh, yeah, um, can't unread that book. No. Sweet mercy, it was something. Yeah, it's, like, so bleak. But the way she describes it... So, for people that, if you haven't read this book, um, I'm going to spoil it for you. But, I mean, it's not that much of a spoiler. It's what the freaking book's about. So it's in a world in which, um, like, meat, so cows, goats, you know, whatever, um, supposedly has developed a virus, and it may, it kills people who consume it. So you can't eat meat anymore. Um, and, and as a result, you know, they, like, butcher cats, dogs, like, you know, there's no pets, there's nothing. And so to deal with this lack of, like, meat essentially what people do is they've like started breeding humans for the express purpose of either eating them you know using their skin as like leather um there's like hunting reserves where you can hunt people and it like makes it it normalizes it and it's told through the eyes of a man who works at a slaughterhouse for people who's grieving the loss of his son, his wife's left him, and he gets gifted a uh, woman that's, they call her the head, like you would, like a head of cattle. And initially you think that he might be falling in love with her, but then, you know, things happen, and towards the end of the story, she's just discarded, essentially. Yeah. And it is just like, and that's where you end, and you're like, oh my god. Yeah, it's definitely among the, like, most soul-crushing books I've read in, in the last few years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when I when I gave it back to my student, I was just like, so you remember how you had a hard time with A Modest Proposal? Well, this is the <laughs> just, what if A Modest Proposal was everyday normal? And, uh, yeah, give me A Modest Proposal and Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, and that's what this is. Oh, yeah. That's like the perfect mashup, yes. So hopefully she didn't read it, because I'm pretty sure that would have irrevocably scarred her. As it scars everybody. Yeah, yeah, I still... Uh, it, it's it's one of those ones that I keep thinking about it, but I don't want to, because it kind of broke my brain a little bit in just a very powerful, effective way, but not for the... Uh, easily squeamish I'll oh say. no i'm i'm almost like jealous that she came up with this idea because it's just like so awful and like dehumanizing and i wish i could have written something like that <laughs> like because it's just so the way she's able to describe things that mm -hmm. we we do to cattle but except it's being done to humans and she's able to describe it in a very clinical way that's detached, that's even scarier. Yeah, yeah, it somehow makes it way worse. Yeah, I, I think it's, well, yeah, it's an absolutely depressing subject matter, but the way that she wrote it, I'm very impressed. Uh, I'm just, I'm just uh, scarred forever by it, but it's fine, it's fine. Well, I mean, what, what are you going to talk about in therapy otherwise? <sighs> right? Yeah. My past? I don't know. Let's just talk about Tender as the Flesh again. <laughs> They're like, not the this size. again. Let's go. They're like, yes, I know. I it just 
Let's move on to literally anything else. You're bumming me out too much. <laughs> well, I uh, have also been reading uh, just nonstop horror, uh, among all of the other stuff I read, because I have a problem, honestly. But uh, right now, I am listening to the book The Five by Robert McCammon, and it is really good. I love Robert McCammon. I haven't read nearly enough of him, but um, I feel like he is just wildly underappreciated because he he's probably like especially kind of in the like late 70s and uh like throughout the 80s i would say he is like the the peer of stephen king that actually equals stephen king's writing abilities in a lot of ways okay I don't know. I I really really like a lot of his stuff. I I feel like Swan Song is the stand if the ending was good. <laughs> I I just read that actually in the last couple of years because um, I kept seeing it get recommended, and I yeah. I really did like that um, novel. Like it, it's like an epic saga. It's post apocalyptic. It's fantastic. Yeah, and you know, I've I've read uh, Boy's Life, which is a little bit more Ray Bradbury than than King kind of, is what I would compare it to. But um, and then I read another one of Mystery Walk, which is like this weird kind of religious journey that kind of reminds me of uh, Stephen King's um, Revival a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah, it has similar vibes. Less bleak of an ending than Revival, because Revival is also quite the gut punch of a book, but... Oh, yeah. But really solid, surprisingly. And then uh, The Five is a lot of fun. This is one of his newest horror novels. It was like... Well, okay. It was in, like, 08 that it, this one came out. But basically, this is a rock band that is on tour that begins being uh, hunted by a sniper who seems to have maybe some sort of supernatural entity that is encouraging him to hunt them all down and, and, and kill them. Ooh. And it's uh, a lot of fun. So, If you had to recommend one of his books for me to read next, which one would you recommend? I would say Mystery Walk is probably my favorite okay. uh, of, of his stuff that I've read. But I'm I'm definitely going to work my way through his whole bibliography because i really feel like he if stephen king weren't you know stephen king at the level that he is i think robert mccammon could have maybe been stephen king i'm gonna read more of his stuff because that's very exciting because i did really like swan song yeah and and like swan song is is fun and really interesting um and it has some like really harrowing scenes uh, like I remember a scene involving a grocery store um, and a gang of psychopathic mm. uh, mutant people attacking some main characters there that really got to me but yeah like but at the end of the day I'm not the biggest post-apocalyptic guy but oh, no. that one okay. still spoke to me the one part I that really freaked me out is when he's in that like storm cellar basement thing when there's that um tornado yeah like he wrote that very very well which i mean interestingly there is like a tornado scene in the stand too but it's not very long yeah it's and and i don't know i I just love a lot of his ideas just kind of being really unusual like you know, all of the people who have all of, like, the radiation sickness coming to the Great Salt Lake to try to, like, use it as, like, a healing pool was really interesting. Oh, yeah. Maybe because I live directly next to the Great Salt Lake, but... Yeah, just oh, really? all of that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. I, I could, well, drive there in two minutes. Oh, wow. So, yeah, you were right there. Yep. I'm right by the big, stinky lake. <laughs> see the big stinky lake you can float and then feel really gross and need a shower afterward quite the slogan i know you will get attacked by so many bugs sounds really fun i can't wait to book my ticket there we go utah hire me for your uh tourist yeah your your tourism board 
<laughs> Make it a thing. We'll hashtag it. Yes. The big stinky lake. <laughs> that might kill everyone with arsenic if rain doesn't get better. The real Perfect. life horrors of living near the lake. We have talked about all sorts of things. Um, it's been a journey. A journey of friendship and uh, sociopathic children and all sorts of wonderful things. So, uh, let me just shamelessly plug The Broken Heart again. I would like that, yes. I, I thought you might. <laughs> it's really freaking good. You should read it. It comes out on September 19th. I really, really, really love it. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. I genuinely was just like, yes, this is one of like the funnest horror books I've read in a hot minute, so... There well, we thank you. I really appreciate that. I had a great time writing it, and I'm very happy with how it turned out. And I hope that I can uh, frighten people and maybe make them think back. Like, ugh, that was rough, but also freaking hilarious and amazing. Yeah, I, I, I didn't hype up the freaking hilarious and amazing enough, but also, yes... That those things as well. So, where can people find you online if they want to reach out? If you want to hang out or, you know, send me a little message there. Except I don't do DMs. No, I do, actually. But on Twitter, you can find me at Dr. Spooky underscore ER. And then I have a website, www.njgallegos.com. E-G-O-S. And um, I, you know, go there. You can read my blog. There are links to all of my works. And I actually have, um, can I shamelessly plug myself even more a little bit? Of course. Perfect. So there's a pre-order link, obviously, for The Broken Heart on there. And I also have a novella coming out on October 5th with Alien Buddha Press called It's Me, Hi, I'm the Zombie, It's Me. So that was actually born of Sto- from StokerCon. For those who were not at StokerCon, um, it was held in Pittsburgh the same weekend that Taylor Swift was in town. So the hotel that we were at, you know, you have all these horror people with, you know, generally wearing black with funny t-shirts, chains, you know, things like that. And then you have all these Swifties with sequins and wonderstruck perfume and whatnot. It was Barbenheimer in real life, yes. Yeah, it was fantastic. I actually sold a couple copies of The Broken Heart to some Swifties, so thank you. Hell yes. Yeah, I felt pretty happy with that one. And so in the book, the Swifties and the StokerCon folks have to band together to fight the undead, who have a very unique flaw that they discover. Excellent. We're going to have to talk about that more uh, afterwards so I can find out how I can get my hands on an advanced copy. Absolutely. Hell yeah. That's what I like to hear. Go forth, buy all of the wonderful NJ Gallegos books, and also, everybody, stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You could also support the show by going to Patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.